Our text for today's message will be found in the book of John. Book of John and chapter 1. We're going to be reading verse 19 down through verse 22. And uh, keep your Bibles handy because we'll be looking at some other places in Scripture as we go along in the message. We're going to start here in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, This is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? Who are you, and what do you say of yourself? Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts and thankful spirits this morning as we have lifted praise to you. I pray that you have received glory from it, Lord, and ask now that you would help us in this time of preaching. We're tired, we're weary. We might have things weighing on our minds, Lord, uh, for these next moments. Take that away and revive our spirits, open our ears, open our hearts that we might seek the truth, listen to the truth that you have for us this morning. Lord, give me the grace to speak as you would have me to. Hide me behind your word. Let your word stand forth and move among us as only you can. Do the work in our hearts that only you can do. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to put off Romans chapter 14 uh, for a couple weeks because that is a monster of a passage uh, because it opens up uh, many different things on opinions or on what we might call non-essential issues. And we'll be taking that time to explore again some things maybe we don't talk about. I will be bringing the first sermon on my stand and this church's stand on alcohol that I have since, we, since I've been a pastor. We've talked about it many times, but from the pulpit, I've not brought a sermon on it. And that is covered, I believe, in some principles that is given in Romans 14, as well as maybe talking about drugs or other things uh, that we don't often uh, hit on on a Sunday morning. We're going to take that time. So I appreciate the church's patience as I try to prepare the best and give a biblical answer. I never want to stand up here and give my opinion. That does nothing. It's the Bible, the Word of God, that makes the difference, right? So we'll get back to that shortly. In the meantime, I want to direct your attention to a question asked here in the text. Who are you? I was recently asked this question, I think a few of us were, from a rather unexpected source. And the question was, who are you? Like, really? Who is Ryan? Do you know who you are? What do you say about yourself? Kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. Like, what? What do you mean, mean, who am I? But it's got me thinking. And uh, kind of led my heart to some things we'll speak about this morning. John has asked that question here. The Jews send priests and Levites and some of the Pharisees from Jerusalem. They won't come down themselves and see it, but they send some people to ask John, just who are you? Because he was creating quite a stir. They hadn't seen somebody like this in quite a long time. And 
We get a sense of that in Matthew chapter 3. So you can turn with me or keep your finger here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's got a striking message, right? Repent, the time is here. You better get ready. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's kind of a an explanation that Matthew gives. This is the one that was promised. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And they went out to him, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. John shows up and he's creating quite a scene. And the Bible says it's a Big stir. When the Bible uses words like all, it doesn't use them just to make an impression. No, every word of the Bible we believe is perfect. We believe the Scripture is inerrant. Every word is perfect. So when it says all Judea, all the region around Jordan, that's what it means. There's a lot of people coming out to see John. Thousands of people. And he's got a unique message. He's got a unique appearance. The last of the Great Old Testament prophets come to prepare the way of the Lord. You understand they hadn't seen anything like that for a long time. There had been about 400 years of science silence from the last of the Old Testament prophets to when John shows up on the scene and begins preaching repentance and to make the way of the Lord prepared. So no wonder they're asking this question. Who are you? And his answers are right on. If you look back in the text, uh, he, he answers some very specific ways. Verse 20 is, makes it very clear. He confessed, denied not, but confessed. I like the way Bible writers use that. That means they're making a very point, a very important point. John the Baptist never claimed to be Christ. In fact, he made it clear, I am not the anointed one. Nor am I Elijah though Jesus would later point back to him and says, He is Elijah come again, fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah and in Malachi. But he says, I'm not Elijah, nor am I that prophet of Deuteronomy, because Moses promised somebody that would come. There's a prophet going to rise up among you. Listen to him. He's talking about Christ. He says, no, I'm not any of those. Because I know that's what you're getting at by asking me these questions. That's who you're trying to make me. You see, they were asking loaded questions. Who are you in that, well, you must be this person. I'm not who you're trying to make me be. I'm not falling for your trap. And that happens so much today. The world asks us loaded questions. Maybe it's our feelings on a certain issue or our, our political leaning. They're trying to get us to fall in a trap to make us be and make us conform to who they say we are just the way the Jews were doing this with John. In fact, his answer goes on and it's golden. In verse 23, he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees and they asked him and said unto him, Why do you baptize then if you be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet. 
John answered them, saying, I baptized with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John has an awesome answer because he recognizes his place. He recognizes his his calling. He owns it and he points right to Christ in all of it. I want you to keep that in mind as we go. Because I want to ask you that same question. Who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? We could ask the question of those in the world and we could probably expect what they would answer. Many, if not most, would answer a few different ways. And this is beyond a simple name like, Hi, my name is Blah. No, who are you really? Who are you really down deep at your core? What do you really have to say about who you are? Many would identify with a group. Some group or some movement or some ideology that's going on right now. I'm sure if you ask people back in the 40s, they would either be uh, pro Nazi or anti Nazi. If you ask people in the late 70s and the 80s, it would be those who were communist or anti communist. Today it's liberal or conservative or Just fill in the blank with all these other divisions that are out there. Because there's a lot, isn't there? In fact, that seems to be like, it's part of the plan. There sure seems to be a lot of pressure to identify with this one group. And to conform to that and to, to be divided into all these different factions of society. So... When the question comes, who are you? That's the answer many people are looking for. What little sect of society, what little group of society do you identify with? And do we fall into that trap and claim that? And that is the whole of our identity. Because all these different groups and people in them, when they say I am a uh, liberal or I am a conservative or whatever it may be, that becomes the whole of who they are, and that's all they have to say about themselves. The world will ask loaded questions to us to try to get us to be put in one of those categories. The whole driving point of somebody's life can become a label. A label. Do we fall into that trap? And I understand, and I hope this comes out clear, I understand one of those labels is Christian. And I think it's a label that is used today that does not truly define who somebody is at their core. Many of those who call themselves liberal or Democrats or something along that line, I think down deep, do not agree with the evil that is being evidenced day by day from people of those parties. I'm talking about late-term abortion and things of that nature. I think there are many who would use that label of themselves just because they don't like uh, 
principles of the other side that don't really down deep agree with those kind of principles. In the same way, most people who would identify themselves with a Christian label do not understand what the depth of what that means. Does that all make sense? They don't understand the depth of what it means. It's just a label. That's not who they are. Some people will be quick to identify themselves with some surface label, surface level label or identifier. If you ask somebody who they are, many will people many people will identify with a vocation. Hi, my name is Joe and I work in a button factory. That is the whole of their story. That's who they are. <laughs> who are you? I am my job. And their life is wrapped up in it and so that they lose their they lose their personal identity and to lose their job is to lose themselves. And maybe you know people like that. Um, that are utterly devastated when things like that come along. Some people identify themselves like that. Other people identify themselves with their activities or their hobbies or their status. Some people identify themselves, their answer to who are you is their sin. Either that be homosexuality, to transgenderism, to alcohol or drug use, I know people that proudly say that is who I am. That is what defines me. And even that is surface level. Well, we know what the world may say. I want us to focus within as I have on myself these past few days. And here's why. I believe it's absolutely vital. It's Extremely important that you and I have a rock-solid, crystal-clear view on who we are. That we have a grip on this and that there is a foundation on which all of our life is built. That we go out into this world and we engage the cultural issues, we engage the people around us, not with some pre-made label that they'll quickly slap on themselves. No, we engage them truly knowing who we are. Because that makes a difference. So I ask you this morning, how would you answer this? What would you say of yourself? John had the right answer. Well, do we? Do you and I have that right answer? And here's what I think I should say. I don't always get it right. And I don't always have this straight in my my mind. But here is what I should answer. Who am I? Number one. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace. That's number one. It's got to be number one. Or everything else in our life will be off. If that is not who we realize we are, first and foremost, at the very core of our person, every single thing in our life will be off if that is not the rock upon which we are built. I am a sinner Saved by grace. And I want to spend just a little time with this, kind of explaining why it's so important. We believe, or, or rather the Bible declares, that's a better, better way to put it. We, the Bible declares that every single human being is made in the image of God. Every single human being is made in the image of God. Go to Psalm 139 with me. Psalm 139. Something that David says here that is, I believe is true of all humanity Psalm 139 and verse 13. 
David is giving praise to the Lord here, and he says some very interesting things. Verse 13 of Psalm 139, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought, I believe uh, other translations say, knit together in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. He's talking about the wonder of God in creation. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You saw me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And even though when I wasn't fully formed, you saw it. And all of that was written down in your plan when as yet there was none of them. The way a human grows within its mother's womb is amazing. It's an amazing process. And I I love the parts of science that, that describe that how it happens. You understand that science can tell you how it happens, how a cell splits and multiplies and then begins to form, but science cannot tell you the why. They can tell you how, they cannot tell you why at fertilization that the process begins. They cannot tell you why a body goes on living until a certain point. They can tell you how, they can tell you how it stops, but they cannot tell you why, because all of that is in God's hands. It is God who controls all of that, I believe. His life is in our hands. Our our forming is in our hands. And I believe that is every single human being. Which means every single human being is a wonderfully made creation of God. Every single human we see has value and purpose. Period. The Bible also declares that not only are we made in the image of God, that we are fallen as well. We spend a lot of time making that clear, that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Death has passed upon all men because all have sinned. We go against God's law. We have wicked hearts that produce wicked actions. That's why things are so messed up today. It's the wickedness of man's sinful fallen heart. We are held guilty and accountable and under judgment. Again, that is all of us. Wonderful creations of God, yet lost in our sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a reason I want to walk through some of this familiar territory. We are wonderful Creations of God made in His image, yet our own sin has separated us from Him. We are guilty and under judgment. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says, You, you see the next words are in italics. That means it's not in the original writings. Here's what Paul writes. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in your sins. Wherein time passed, you walked according to the course of this world. Just following... The, the wind of society and wherever humanity went, that's where your hearts went. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Oh, he adds another layer there. Who is this prince of the power of the air? The Bible tells us that is Satan. Satan and his working in society, his demonic influence on 
the hearts of man. Not only does the dead sinful heart follow just the course of the world, it follows Satan's leading and demonic temptations and demonic um, courses. Walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. I don't know if you underline or write in your Bible. I would underline that phrase. All of us. None of us are born outside of that. We all serve Satan. We all serve this world. We all were dead in our own sins and our own trespasses. We all had our conversation, our lifestyle in the times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is a description of humanity. That's a description of us. But verse 4 brings in probably the best news we've ever heard, right? But God. We were hopeless, damned by our own sins, dead in trespasses and sins, But God reached down to us. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ, or quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, without God, we have no hope. But it is by His love, by His mercy, by His grace, He reached down to us, and He provided us salvation through Christ Jesus. Without Him, I'd still be a sinner on the way to hell. But God reached down. But God loved me. I didn't pull myself out of it. I did not reform myself. Like, I got my life straight and now I'm all good. No. God reached down to me. He saved me. While I was still a sinner, while I was still against Him, He saved me. If that falls dead on your heart, you better repent. If that has lost its wonder, then you need to start praying for a soft heart again. We were sinners except for God. But God loved us so much to save us, to give us a purpose, to call us to good works. Listen, Understand me when I say this. Church is important. Church attendance is important. Witnessing is important. Baptism is important. But don't get the good works in front of grace. There is a why we do what we do. Understand? There is a reason we seek to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, which is what the Scriptures say. There's a reason we get baptized in church and we go to church and we sing and we give and we do all that we do. It's not just to do those on some surface level. No, Why do I come here? Because He saved me. Why did I want to join with His people? Because He saved me. Why do I give to Him? Why do I witness to others? The core reason, the foundation is because God saved me who was a sinner. Because you realize without that, everything's hopeless. Without His grace, I have nothing. I am nothing. 
except for God and for His grace. He is my Father. He is my Lord. He is my life. Literally. So that changes everything about who I am. That orders my life. I once was dead in sins. Now I'm alive in Christ. I used to live this way. Now I'm a new creation in Him. I've been born again. So some things in life are going to change, aren't they? That orders my life. That orders my worldview, how I view everything and everyone around me. That gives me purpose. That keeps me humble. That motivates everything, every other aspect. I do what I do, and I am who I am because I'm a sinner saved by grace. I believe that is the most important foundation. And I would ask you, have you spent time with that lately? It would do you good to relive your experience of salvation. To remember what it was like. Maybe you felt guilt. Maybe you felt fear. Whatever it was, the conviction and the knowing that you were lost and under judgment. And then the peace that came once you cried out for forgiveness. Once you cried out for Him to save you. Have you dwelt on the thought that God would die for me? That He would come here and give His life for me. And how many times I've trampled on His blood, as it were, in a sense, as Hebrews chapter 10 talks about, knowingly doing stupid wrong things, even though I've been saved for a number of years. But yet He still saved me. That I'm not even worthy to unlatch His shoe, but He died for me. You spend time with that. That will straighten out some things in your life. It becomes a foundation not only for your whole life, but it becomes a foundation for how we view others. Listen now. I am no better than any other person that walks the face of this earth. No better. I don't care what they claim. I don't care what they do. I don't care what political view they hold. I don't care what sexual preference they say they are. I am no better in no way. In fact, I think Romans chapter 3 kind of puts it that way. Are we better than they? No, in no wise. There's no one good. No one does righteous. All have sinned. You see, I am first and foremost a sinner, but I'm just one that's been saved by the grace and mercy of God. And though all those around me, that might hate God or that might reject the invitation or they might be hostile to God, hostile to the truth. You know what? They need the same thing I needed and that is Jesus. I am not any better. In fact, I want you to remember something Paul says in 1 Timothy. Let me read you that. We might see some pretty nasty people in the news or in politics or in the world stage. We might think they are beyond or they are unsavable or they are hopeless. No, 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 no. Back that train right up. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul speaking, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me 
for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injur- injurious. Paul literally went from door to door, knocking on the door. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you a Christian? Yes, you're arrested and you're on your way to death. Door after door after door, doing so with the religious leader's approval. He had letters that gave him the authority as he went from city to city. It's what he was doing on the road to Damascus, was to go arrest Christians and to put them to death. We've seen some nasty people, and Paul was chief among them. He says, listen, I was doing some pretty bad things, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You understand? People don't know better. What do you expect the world to do? Worship God? Do you expect it to be some safe and cushy place where everybody says, God, Christian, do what you do. You're doing great. That's heaven. Heaven's not here yet. (laughs) We're called to be a witness, a light in the darkness. Like pitch black darkness. We want to be a light in the day. That's comfortable for the American Christian. When nobody questions me, nobody says anything bad, and everything out there in politics and in the world aligns right with my political worldview, so it's just all easy. No, we are in a world full of lost, unbelieving sinners just like we were who need the light of God. Paul says, I did some bad things, but I did it in unbelief. I didn't know better, and God had mercy on me. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. I wonder if we have an abundant love for the sinners around us. Here's what Paul says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He didn't come to make it cushy for His church. He didn't come to make us the powerful rulers of the land. He came to seek and save that which is lost, to save sinners. Did we forget that about our Lord and Savior? Have we forgotten that that is our number one calling? Not to earn a living, not to be at ease, but to go to the sinners around us just as the same as somebody went to us with the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Does he not tell Corinth, hey, there's some people that aren't going to inherit the, the, the kingdom of God and liars and blasphemers and effeminate and homosexuals and all these kind of things he goes on the list? What does he say at the end of that list? And such were some of you, but you are washed and justified and sanctified through Christ. We are sinners saved by grace. Paul says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's why I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. If Paul can get saved, any person we meet can get saved. Don't forget that. People around us are sinners that need to be saved by grace, just as we are sinners saved by grace. And a rock-solid foundation that drives that and drives our worship and drives our, 
our commitment to Him through His body and a commitment to witnessing Him is our salvation. Because of that, we seek His truth in all matters. And rather than claiming some side or some label, we claim our Father's name and we follow Him first. Does that make sense? We follow God and His truth in all things because I know what He has done. And this becomes much more than some surface-level Sunday activity. No, it's who I am. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. And then everything in our life begins to build on that. We're running out of time, so listen up quickly. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's who I am, but I am also a husband and a father. I'm a husband and a father. Now, that's not crazy extraordinary. Like, oh, really, you are? There's a lot of people around us that are husbands and fathers. A lot of guys are, as lots of women are wives and moms, and I believe it is a special blessing. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all. That's across the land. In people that believe and people that don't believe. It's an institution, just as parenthood is an institution given to us by God that is a special blessing. The, the blessing to care for and love a spouse or to raise children, it's amazing. It's a big responsibility, right? But it takes on a whole new level in light of number one, doesn't it? That my relationship with God is not only the foundation for how I view others in society and current events, but it's the foundation for my home and yours too. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to pull out a quick couple statements here. We won't spend time to go through it, but it's a beautiful Wonderful passage, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Those two verses are hate speech today. People will get mad when you read those. But God has a good plan, doesn't he? That's enough I'll say about that. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. That's not a... That's not a crazy command. That's not a crazy thing to ask a husband to do. Most husbands love their wives. But notice what what he says next that elevates it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, I'm not just to love my wife in some surface level. Love, no, it elevates it, right? I'm to love my wife as Christ loves us that He might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the Word, and He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. We are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord." You see the elevation there? The higher calling that he gives that marriage and parenting takes on as you know the Lord? I'm to love my wife as Christ loves me. Sacrificially, in a cherishing and nurturing and protecting way. 
a providing way. So much and so vivid that when people see my marriage, they see a picture of Christ in His church. And I'm not just to raise responsible little tiny humans. No, the call is bigger. The call is higher. It elevates. All kids are raised to some extent with nurture and admonition. That's love and discipline. The elevation, the higher calling is this. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Just as my love to my spouse is elevated, I am to point my kids to Christ, lead them and show them what the Bible says and the Lord God who loves them and gave Himself for them. You see, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, taking the lead as the head of my home and saying, let's follow Jesus. Teaching my children to navigate all this mess and trying my best with the grace of God to keep us on the right path. That's who I am. And I want to add one more layer in our lives You see, John had a job to do, right? John had a calling from God, and so do you and I. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a husband and a father, and I am a pastor. God has seen fit to draw me to His ministry, to faithfully preach the Word, which, by the way, anyone who surrenders to the ministry, those three words drive your life. Preach the Word. But He's called me to pass through this church to lead and guide and feed her as we all follow Christ. And I must be faithful and obedient to that calling. Now you might not be a pastor or a preacher or a deacon, but that does not mean you don't have a calling in your life. We read in Romans, we spent time on different things, different gifts that God has given His body. And you are uniquely gifted in your service. You know a unique group of people that you meet on an everyday basis. And you might be called, your calling is to witness to them and to tell them about Christ. Remember what John said, I'm not Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not that prophet. But God has called me to baptize and to get you ready to meet the Christ so that exactly what I will do. And beloved, each one of you have a calling. The Bible says He has saved us and called us with a holy calling and given us what we need uh, in all things that pertain unto life and to godliness. And maybe you've been gifted in music or teaching or exhortation or giving or being faithful. Maybe your calling is just being a faithful servant of God. Well, be faithful in that. John was. and We can be too. That's the answer that I would give. That's who I am. There's other things, sure. There's other things I might say about myself, other hobbies, but everything else to those is secondary. The main thing is, number one, that I am a sinner saved by grace, and everything else falls in line because of that. Perhaps you can say the same this morning, but what I want to bring to your mind is that we must remember that and we must own it. We are quick to own labels rather than who we are in Christ. We are at times, more proud and more ready to say I'm a conservative than I am a sinner saved by grace. One is more vital. One is more foundational. The fact that we have been saved by the blood of Christ, a new creation in Him, that far outweighs any conservative viewpoints or anti-mask or anti-vaccine or anti-democrat views. By far. But have we fallen into the trap of taking on that label as our identity? Is that who we say who we are? 
When debates and social issues run hot, remember who we are and act and engage and speak in accordance with that. And if we do that, something's going to happen. People are not going to hear the same old rhetoric, the same old responses, or the same old hate regurgitated. They're going to hear something different in our speech. If you get into a conversation with somebody who professes to be a homosexual and you don't spit back the same hate or the things that they're used to and you hear, they hear something different. They hear a concern in your voice. They hear love in your voice. That's going to be attention-getting, isn't it? Because you're going to point to Christ. You'll show Him. You'll declare Him with your life. You'll be a Christian in much more than some self-proclaimed label, which is exactly what we're supposed to do. Don't lose this. and Don't get caught up in the trap to reduce ourselves to some label, whether that's conservative or anti-whatever. And it's so easy to because we're more than that. We're more than those labels. And so are other people. People are more than liberals. People are more than homosexuals. We too quickly write off people because we just, because of some identity that they claim. They say, well, they're just a fill in the blank. No, they're more than that. The, perf- the person who professes to be whatever is more than just that label. They are a wonderful creation of God who has fallen and is a sinner in need of grace, just the same as we are. They are more than the label. They're just reducing them to some sin or some self thing. That that's all we focus on and that's all we identify them with. No, look at the bigger picture. That's what we're called to do. Christ didn't do that with Uh, Christ didn't reduce people to their labels, whether it was a prostitute or a publican or a zealot or whatever it may be. He looked past that. What did he say to the woman caught in adultery? He He who is without sin cast the first stone. Really easy to throw stones at labels. What did he say to her as he looked past I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That is the message that Christ has for every single person we meet. Salvation, forgiveness, a new purpose. But we can get so caught up looking at what they profess to be. They are a wonderful creation of God, a sinner who needs to be and absolutely can be saved by grace. They are a parent or a spouse who can begin to lead their family in the right direction. Somebody who God has a calling for. I'm sure glad God looked past the sins of Saul of Tarsus to the calling that He had for him. And we should be able to see that because we know who we are. Does that all make sense? I know who I am. In Christ. So let's not be so quick to take the bait. Know who you are, own it, and then point to Him. What this world needs is churches full of people with this kind of heart. Not those who get up, who get caught up in some argument and spew out the same hate as the world. That is so easy. That is so natural, right? Ah, here they go again. Look what they did now. And 
they stink and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's really, really easy to do that. To where that becomes who we are. <laughs> Rather than a deeper person. We need to know who we are in Christ and then engage these issues with the truth of God. Truth that is foundational and evidenced in our lives. It's truth that we know. Do you know that this morning? Who are you? What do you say of yourself? What is it that defines you and is it Christ? I would encourage you to take a long, hard look because perhaps we've got caught up too much There are some important and very scary things going on and we ought to engage and we ought to speak. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying all this stuff is unimportant. No. There are some important things that affect my children that we ought to be very concerned about. Just with the right direction. The right angle. Do we pick a side and hate the other side? And that's all we talk about. That's all that comes out of our mouth is hateful, bitter speech. Spitting venom. Those people. Look what they're doing. How could they do this? Is that who you are? Is that who we've become over the past several months? Or is there more? To realize, you know what? They're sinners. They need to be saved by grace. And they can be. Because I was. God saved me. And He's given me a purpose. He's given me direction. He wants the same for every single person we meet. So when we engage and we speak up and say, you know what, that's not right. We do so from the right angle and the right motivation. It's not from one of hate, but it's one from knowing who we are, that we're sinners saved by grace, and this world needs that same truth that has changed our lives. And knowing that God's calling on our lives, God has a calling on our lives, and He has a calling on those around us too. Therefore, we do what we do, pointing to Him and giving Him all of the glory. Maybe we need to get back to that. Because maybe I've drifted away too much. So, I need to take a step back and say, who am I? Am I the gut reaction to all the current issues? Or am I something more? A sinner saved by grace that motivates everything that I do. One that's trying to lead his family in the right direction. One that's trying to fulfill the calling of God on my life. And engaging the world through that worldview, through that lens, that filter. Rather than one of disgust and bitterness and hate. I think that's what the world needs. I think that's what the church needs. To stand rock solid on the foundation of who we are. So I ask once more, who are you? What do you say of yourself? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace to me. I thank you that you love me so much and you had so much mercy and grace on me that you would save me from my sins. You would give me a new heart, a new mind in you. 
one that longs for you and a, a spirit that longs to follow you. Lord, I thank you. You would do that for me when I was so very unworthy. And Lord, help me not to, to become arrogant or to become callous to this fact. But I pray as David prayed that you would restore to me the joy of your salvation. You would help it to be revived in my heart and to know that your power is not for me only, but for the whole world. And that I would view those around me and those involved in issues or those involved in my life and I would view them in that way rather than some label they profess. And help me to engage and to speak and to act through that lens that they are a sinner that can be saved too. No matter what they may profess or no matter what they may be found doing, that your grace is greater than our sin and your blood can cleanse us from all sin. Lord, help me to see that first instead of the hate, instead of the reaction, Lord. Give me the grace to engage the culture. Give our church the, the grace to engage the culture around us, to be a voice for truth, but to speak the truth in love and to, to seek to see hearts and lives changed as only you can do, Lord. Help us this morning to know who we are in you and that it runs much deeper than any current issue. And it is the foundation for everything that we do. Help us, revive us, remind us, Speak to our hearts through your spirit, Lord. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.